On the animated side of things, we've got Star Wars The Clone Wars returning for its seventh and final season. And then on the live action side of things, we got The Mandalorian with a hit first season. And we're ready to get into The Mandalorian Season 2 with the live action debut of Ahsoka Tano. It was a perfect time for me to go back and finish Star Wars Rebels. And I'm ready to get into this review. Let's do this. Welcome to Geekology 101. My name is Diego. This is going to be a solo review just because uh, Joshua didn't get into the entire Star Wars Rebels cartoon series. I think you may have seen a few episodes towards the beginning, but I was the one that started it, ended it. So uh, this is going to be my take on all the events that went down and uh, and what this series means for the Star Wars universe. First, let's acknowledge some important points about this thing. Where does this series land in the time frame of the events of Star Wars? There are three episodes in the prequel series of movies. Episode 1, Phantom Menace, which follows the whole thing of uh, Anakin Skywalker being recruited into the Jedi by Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn, his master. Then uh, Episode 2 which deals with basically all the events leading up to the spark of what is known as the Clone Wars and uh, the scheming that is going on behind the scenes by Emperor, by uh, Palpatine, who is playing both sides. On one end, he's the Sith Lord Darth, Darth Sidious. On the other hand, he is Supreme Chancellor uh, Palpatine, and he's basically playing the Republic and playing the Dark Side all at the same time, and he manufactured a galactic war between droids and clones. All of it is his scheme. So that whole second episode of uh, of the Star Wars movies deals with those rising events. By the end of that movie, the Clone Wars begin. There's a gap of time of about five years, I believe it is, between Episode 2 and Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Those five years are filled in by the Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon series. And again, very important to note that Star Wars The Clone Wars is official canon. So this is part of the official history of the Star Wars universe. It's not a separate thing. It's not part of the legends. It's it's actual part of the official canon. Um, then when the Clone Wars end, basically that ties right into the events of Revenge of the Sith. The Revenge of the Sith, of course, is where we see Anakin Skywalker finally give in to the dark side, taking on the persona of Darth Vader, battling Obi-Wan Kenobi, losing that battle, losing several limbs, becoming more robot than man, and we get the birth of Darth Vader as we know him from Episode 4. Now, between Revenge of the Sith, that's Episode 3 of the Star Wars movies, and episode four, A New Hope, which is where we meet Luke Skywalker, who is uh, Anakin Skywalker's son. And we see him go on this entire adventure where his life drastically changes and he discovers his destiny, basically, to become the last standing Jedi, as far as he's concerned. Between those two episodes, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, episode four, and episode, episode three and episode four, We've got a gap of about 19 years. 
19 years, of course, because at the end of Revenge of the Sith, Episode 3, Luke Skywalker and Leia are just babies. They're just newborns. And then we see them again in Episode 4, A New Hope, and uh, Luke is about 19 years of age. So a 19-year gap between those two episodes in the movies, that is where Star Wars Rebels falls in. As far as the timeline, Star Wars Rebels covers events that happened about 14 years after Revenge of the Sith and about five years before A New Hope. It tells a very, very important part of the story, too. It it, it focuses in on how this whole rebellion got started, because basically for 19 years, Darth Sidious has been the emperor of the galaxy. We see towards the end of episode three, Revenge of the Sith, how he reorganizes the Galactic Republic into, using his own words, the first Galactic Empire. So he creates what we know as the Empire, what is the authority and the system that is in place in the very first Star Wars movie that ever came out, which was episode four. So in episode four... We're seeing Luke Skywalker joining what is already a very organized rebellion. A rebellion that has its political leaders, that has military ranks, that has an entire fleet of ships, everything from X-Wings to bombers to destroyers to, you know, cruiser-type ships. I mean, it, it is a very well-oiled system. They're, they're, they're pretty well organized. And it's not a ragtag team of rebels that we're seeing him join with. So you you have to wonder, where did that come from? How did that organize and how did that get to that point that it got? Well, Star Wars Rebels tells that entire story. And uh, it's I'm not going to talk spoilers just yet. I want to, and I'm also not going to do a recap of the, an entire recap of the series because it is four, uh, four seasons worth of content. Uh, I'm not about to, get into all that. If you're interested in, uh, you know, getting the full experience, go watch the cartoon series on Disney plus it's, it's worth your time. It's a great series. It's, it's entertaining. It's action packed, definitely, um, providing some key bits of information about the Jedi, about the force, about Emperor Sidious, uh, Darth Sidious about the rebellion and how it came to be. It's it's worth your time if you're into the entire Star Wars universe, not just into the Skywalker saga that is told and you know started and concluded in the movies, but really the entire world that George Lucas built. This is a show that you that you're going to want to get into. Um, so overall, let's let's just go overall. Basically, this cartoon series follows um, this team of rebels, not organized rebels, not at this point. They are very much um, a ragtag team of people trying to oppose the Empire however they can. It's composed of a few people. So you've got uh, Ezra Bridger, who's a teenager. He's kind of like a con artist. And he's also a Force-sensitive individual. So he has an affinity with the force. 
but he doesn't know how to deal with it. He doesn't know how to control it. He doesn't know exactly what it is. Nobody has obviously been training him. There haven't been organized Jedi in now about 14 years. So the children who were being born with sensitivity to the Force had nobody to take them in and train them the way that the Jedi took the, took younglings in and trained them to be, you know, trained them as Padawans. So he never had that. Then you've got Kanan Jarrus, who is a Jedi, sort of. <laughs> He's a pretty unconventional Jedi. And the reason for that is that he was a Padawan back when, back during the Clone Wars. So he actually fought as a young man, he fought in the Clone Wars alongside his Jedi Master, and he was still in the process of being trained. Mind you, that's a very intense on-the-job training when you have to be kind of like Ahsoka Tano was, a Padawan that is learning the ways of the Force and learning from their Master smack in the middle of a war where you're thrust into that whole thing and you're now being identified as one of the commanders of this clone army. And that was the kind of scenario that Karen Jarrett, that Kane and Jarrett got dropped into. There's actually a comic book series that was published by uh, Marvel once Disney acquired Lucasfilm and now Marvel and Lucasfilm were kind of like sister companies that was focused completely on Kane and Jarrett during that entire time of his life. I haven't read it. I believe that's the time period that it takes place in, but it gives you a background to Kane and Jarrett. Uh, there's kind of a romantic interest and partnership overall, strategic partnership that is happening between Kane and Jarrus and another character called Hera Syndulla. Now, Hera Syndulla is a pretty important character. If again, if if you've been keeping up to date with the non-Skywalker stories of the Star Wars universe, Hera Syndulla is actually a pretty important character. She's a Twi'lek, which are the people with the two big uh, tentacle type things coming from their heads. Uh, this is a species that comes from the planet Ryloth. And she's the daughter of a commander called Chamsendula. Now, Chamsendula, as far as the content that I've been exposed to, he appears recurrently on two places. One, he appears in um, Star Wars The Clone Wars, which, of course, you know by now if you're listening, if you've been listening to this podcast that I'm a fan of. He appears on several episodes, actually, of the Clone Wars, and he is basically leading a rebellion on the planet Ryloth against the Empire, or rather, against in the during the Clone Wars, it's against the um, uh, it's against the Separatists. But then uh, later on, it becomes a battle against the Empire. He is very much one of the people who sowed the seeds for a rebellion. And and a greater part of that story is actually told um during a uh during during one of the um the novels which I listened to on uh, on Audible in the form of an audiobook. It's called um <clears throat> I think it's called Dark Lords of the Sith if I'm not mistaken. And um, it, it basically, the novel itself follows Darth Vader and Darth Sidious very closely. By the way, it's a really good novel. And if, if you like, if you want to get more of an idea of the development in that relationship between the Emperor and Darth Vader and some of that internal monologue uh, 
and internal thoughts from Darth Vader as he moved past the events of Revenge of the Sith and developed himself as this persona of Darth Vader, you're going to want to read this book because it's, it's, it's really, it's really informative when it comes to all that. Um, so anyway, Harrison Dula is the daughter of Champs and Dula. He, she is, she's kind of like trying to pat, carve her own path really. And so she's doing her own thing and she teamed up with, uh, with Kane and Jarrus and they're, they're, you know, leading this small team of, of, of rebels. Um, there's Sabine Wren who is a very interesting character as well. And she has many important storylines here. She's a Mandalorian. And of course, Star Wars Clone Wars, the cartoon series was really the first place, the first piece of content that gave us a lot of info into the Mandalorians, their history, their past with the Jedi, what happened to them and their home planet during the events of the Clone Wars and what happened to them after after Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels picks that storyline up, that thread, and it gives us even more detail and plenty of it into what happened to the Mandalorians after the events of the Clone Wars during that 19-year period leading up to the Battle of Yavin 4 when the Empire began its decline and going towards its defeat. Which, of course, after the Battle of Yavin 4, and after the Battle of Endor, which ended the entire war, that happening in uh, Return of the Jedi, that's where the Mandalorian, the, the, the show on Disney Plus, takes place. So again, Sabine Wren, her story is pretty important because she's part of one of the royal clans of the most important clans of the Mandalorians. So you get to see a lot about her culture. You get to see a lot about their political structure, their relationship to the Empire. All that kind of stuff is, is really cool. And Sabine Wren is, is our our portal into all of that part of the story. There is, um, there's another character called Zeb. Uh, his full name is Garazeb Aurelius. And, uh, this is, he's like the Chewbacca of the team, except that he, he can talk, you know, plain English. He doesn't have to talk, uh, you know, in, the uh, the, roaring or gargling or gar gnarling or whatever you know what i mean that chewbacca talks in and uh so so he's he's the muscle of the team he's big big dude he's uh uh he's you know he's he's the heavy hitter then um you've got uh chopper he's the droid he's like the r2d2 of this squad he is basically um I think the closest that you can get when it comes to those uh, those type of droid units that uh, the closest you get to, to talking, like to, to actual dialogue, he does like kind of sounds, but they get very, very like you can kind of tell sometimes that uh, what he's saying, you can actually understand him or maybe that's just me. Maybe I just I've watched too many of these things and I'm starting to understand droid language. Who knows? So sad. Anyway, so yeah, uh, this dude, his model is uh, C110P. And uh, this was actually voiced by Dave Filoni, the creator of this series, who was also the creator of uh, Star Wars, uh, Clone Wars, the cartoon series, and one of the producers of the Mandalorian series. So he is pretty important. He kind of keeps the, the team together. Everybody likes him, but he has kind of an attitude too. <laughs> he's uh, yeah, he's, he's a bit of a bit of a diva sometimes. 
Anyway, and then um, in kind of a recurring role, we've got Captain Rex, which is, of course, uh, Rex from the Clone Wars cartoon series, who is by now an older man. He's an older clone. And he comes back and actually joins these rebels. And he joins them in, in several missions throughout the entire series. So, uh, But the core team, excluding Rex, are all the people that I mentioned before. These are the main people. Ezra, Kanan, Hera, Sabine, and Zeb, and Chopper. Those are the main members of this rebel group. And they uh, fly around in a ship called the Ghost. And they basically are trying to give the Empire a really, really hard time <laughs> in their operations. Uh, but as time goes by, they start allying themselves, allying themselves with people who are much more influential in the galaxy. Other people who are sympathetic to their cause against the Empire. People who feel like the Empire is the wrong element to be in power. And little by little... They start going on missions, collaborating with a lot of these key people. I mean, we've got everything from Mon Mothma to Senator Bail Organa to Princess Leia to, um, you know, they encounter Obi-Wan Kenobi at one point. Um, very important characters. Some other side characters, too, like, you know, Wedge Antilles, for instance, right? People who are who we see are kind of like heroes within the rebellion, people who are risking their lives to fight the Empire, they all make a, an appearance within this series. And it's really, really cool to see how all these characters little by little organize themselves into a true cohesive fighting rebel force. And this crew of one, two, three, four, five, six individuals that are part of the, the crew of the Ghost they uh, they play a very important role. They definitely play an important role. Um, there are several elements that uh, that I'll discuss within the spoiler section of this review that are that push a lot of story elements forward and that give us a background as to wh where the Empire stood by the events of Episode Four and why some things were the way that they were by that point in the Star Wars history. Um, I think that overall, this series was very well put together. It had some incredible action pieces. The animation was solid. It was slightly different from Star Wars Clone Wars, the animation style, but close enough that when you saw the characters that were featured in Clone Wars or introduced in Clone Wars, you didn't it didn't clash. You know, it wasn't too much of a clash to see them from one animation style to the next. Um, it also did the job of introducing some characters that were no longer part of Star Wars canon into the canon officially. Characters who were introduced through Star Wars novels in the past, before Lucasfilm got picked up by Disney and started create and created a new official continuity and pushed a lot of other content under the label of Star Wars Legends. So it did a lot of important things. It tied an entire period of time together. It gave us background to where the galaxy stood when, uh, the by the time Episode 4 rolls around, what happened after the events of Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. And uh, overall, I mean, 
I give this series probably four out of five stars. Uh, just based on how enjoyable it was, the quality of animation, the quality of storytelling. I think all of it was very rich. I, I really did enjoy it. So having said that, uh, I want to get into some uh, spoiler talk. Again, I'm not going to get too deep into specific storylines or doing recaps or anything like that. I just want to hit a few points that I feel are very valuable um, in about this series. Uh, but to do that, I, I have to be able to speak freely. So you have been warned. If you haven't finished Star Wars Rebels and you're planning on finishing or planning on getting into it, if you don't want to be spoiled in any way, this is your point to jump off. Um, you have been warned, spoiler alert, for Star Wars Rebels Seasons 1 through 4. Let's do this. All right, so I've um, already gone over the basic premise of the series, so I won't go into breaking that up any further. Uh, I want to talk specifically about a few things that I consider important about this series and uh, of their contribution to the overall Star Wars lore in the Star Wars universe. Uh, first, Kanan and Ezra are two of the main characters of this series. I've talked a little bit already about Kanan and his history. Um, having been a Padawan during the time of the Clone Wars, his master getting killed during Order 66, and Ezra being a Force-sensitive kid who has no training in the Force. And so these two individuals come together and form, you know, kind of like two pieces of a puzzle where the natural progression of a Jedi after being a youngling, becoming a Padawan, um would have been to become a Jedi Knight. And so a Jedi Knight would be more or less what we would have found Kanan Jarrus as during the events of Star Wars Rebels, although not fully, not in the formal sense of Jedi tradition and the way that Jedi Knights were trained because he was never actually uh, knighted. He didn't get the whole ceremony of cutting off his little braid and being officially knighted. So he kind of had to do it on, them, on his own. You know, he had to assume that role almost on his own. And you see a lot of hesitation in Kanan when the series begins. As far as his past, his journey, having been a Jedi, and where that leaves him in life. You know, he feels pretty lost in a way. And so his character arc is pretty interesting throughout the events of Star Wars Rebels. I think one of the most interesting things about him is the fact that in him, we're seeing the aftermath of Order 66 and of the Clone Wars. The effect that that had on the minds of Jedi and Padawan and Jedi Masters, the effect that that had in the, the, the consequences, psychological, emotional, existential consequences that those events had on the lives of the Jedi. Now, mind you, there weren't many Jedi left, you know, to, to, to actually suffer those consequences because the majority of them were killed during Order 66, but he's a perfect example of one of these survivors. And so it's, it's a really interesting perspective to, to, to see how lost these individuals who managed to survive Order 66 were, after their entire structure of their entire belief system, worldview, their entire social structure was wiped away in 
you know, from one night to the, from one day to the next. So I like his character arc. Um, it could get a little, you know, I don't know. Maybe I got a little bit impatient at times, wanting him to just kind of evolve and move past his trauma and move past his uh, self-doubt and his questioning of what it is that he was supposed to do. But definitely when Ezra comes into his life, it helps him focus because now this coming across Ezra Bridger was kind of like the, the, the closest thing that Kanan had to the continuation of his Jedi training. Because of course, when you become a Jedi officially, you eventually take on a Padawan learner. Somebody that you're going to teach, someone you're going to mentor, not just in combat skills, not just in the ways of the force, but in life. We saw that happen during the events of uh, Star Wars Phantom Menace, episode one, right? We saw Qui-Gon uh, training uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi as his, as, his, uh, as his apprentice. Then we saw uh, Obi-Wan doing the same with Anakin. During the events of a, a, a Attack of the Clones. Then during Clone Wars, the cartoon series, we saw Anakin doing the same thing with Ahsoka Tano. And so Kane and Jarrus at some point had things cons had things continued as they normally would have been within the Jedi Order. Had Order 66 not happened, then he would have eventually taken on a Padawan. But instead, it's almost like if the Force and life are bringing it all full circle for him. And in the most informal of ways it presented him with an opportunity to continue his evolution as a Jedi and I really appreciate that about the story of Rebels and these two cats Kanan and Ezra are definitely not your traditional Jedi and Jedi apprentice <laughs> because they're not any they don't they no longer they don't exist within a traditional Jedi world you know, the Jedi Order is now being hunted. Literally, the survivors are being hunted down proactively by the Empire. So you can't outwardly come and say, I'm a Jedi, and here's my Jedi train, my Jedi Padawan, without expecting to eventually get somebody from the Empire knocking at your door, you know, getting ready to off you because you are you're illegal. You know, you're not allowed to exist anymore. Order 66 did away with your entire religion, basically. You got to go. You got to go. Um, so the context in which Ezra's training happens, it's almost like they're a new breed of Jedi, what Kanan and Ezra become. Because these are more smuggler, rebel type of individuals. In the eyes of the Empire, Kanan... And Hera and their crew, they're terrorists. They're criminals. You know, they're outlaws. They're people who need to be brought to justice, basically. So that is the official point of view of the Empire about these this group of people. And so these are gun-toting Jedi. These are, you know, dudes who will use a blaster just like they'll use a lightsaber. These are guys who are basically going out there breaking laws, you know? So definitely a, a new set of circumstances and a new breed of Jedi, what you see in Kanan and in Ezra. <clears throat> then um, the people hunting down the Jedi, which I mentioned earlier, primarily this is being done by these individuals known as Inquisitors. 
And the Inquisitors are basically, they're not Sith Lords. Okay, because again, the Sith Lord in power is uh, Emperor Darth Sidious, Emperor Palpatine. And then there's that rule of two that Yoda mentions in the prequels where there's always two only, never more, never less, a master and his apprentice. And so you've got Sidious as the master and Darth Vader as the apprentice. So there can't be any more Sith Lords in, in power, but we do see these, I guess you can call them Sith trained um, individuals called Inquisitors. And these are dudes who could very easily, you could see them very easily assuming the role of Sith Lords. You know, like they, they fit that role. They're very Darth Vader-ish in their appearance and in their demeanor and how they talk and how they act. They know how to use the dark side of the force. They have lightsabers, cool lightsabers too, lightsabers that spin like helicopters and whatnot. So they're very cool um, bad guy elements that were introduced through Star Wars Rebels that we've never seen before in the Star Wars universe. Maybe in novels. I know that for the Ahsoka novel, which I now went back to finish um, listening to on Audible because I uh, I had stopped it at some point, like a chapter 14 or something. Um, in the Ahsoka Star Wars novel, which is also canon, it's also part of the official Star Wars history, uh, we see Inquisitors play a role. And, uh, but I, I believe if I got my timeline correct, the Ahsoka novel came out after Rebels came out and it was a way of tying the, of, of filling the gap between before Star Wars Rebels and after Ahsoka left the Jedi Order. So Inquisitors, very cool element within Star Wars Rebels. It's a cool way of introducing dark side users without their necessarily having to be a Sith Lord filling that role. Very cool characters. Um, Ahsoka Tano, uh, since we mentioned her, Ahsoka Tano is another key figure within the Star Wars Rebels um, storyline during the four seasons. We see Ahsoka make her appearance several times throughout the series. Um, we see her become a very important figure, and she's very important. Why? Because... She has been in hiding, has gone through her own journey. By the events of Star Wars Rebels, Ahsoka, I believe, is in her 30s. She was like 14 when Clone Wars be began. Uh, the Clone Wars lasted five years. She would have been around 19 by the time that happened, by the time she left the Jedi Order. Then um, between that, and Star Wars Rebels, about 14 years more. So, yeah, she's, uh, wait, hold on. She's about, yeah, yeah, she's about 30, yeah, in her early 30s. So sh she is an adult version now, uh, a grown-up version of Ahsoka Tano. She's more seasoned in battle. She knows herself. She knows her capabilities. And we see her introduced uh, within Star Wars Rebels once the crew of the ghost have kind of aligned themselves with the more organized rebel factions that are starting to form in the galaxy. We see her introduced as this informant called Fulcrum. And Fulcrum is somebody who only shows up in voice form. 
and the voice is always distorted. It's always the encrypted or whatever. And um, eventually she reveals herself as Fulcrum and we see Ahsoka Tano show up again on screen for the first time since Clone Wars. And it's awesome because, again, it's a grown-up version of her, right? So, you know, she's even more of a badass than she ever was. And um, we see her go on some key missions with them, with the crew of the Ghost, specifically with Kanan and with um and with Ezra because again they have this thing that connects them all and that's a Jedi order the defunct Jedi order and the cool thing about Ahsoka is that she doesn't have loyalties to the Empire uh, to uh to the Jedi order anymore and she didn't as a matter of fact since all the way back before Revenge of the Sith because she left the Jedi order that didn't mean she went to the dark side that means that she was no longer aligned within that system of the Jedi. She was solo, but she was still a Force-sensitive individual with Jedi training, wise, because she got to live so many things throughout the Clone Wars. I mean, that's where she cut her teeth, in the middle of, the, of a war, a five-year war. So she plays a very important role. She delivers some very key lessons to Ezra, especially also to Kanan. And Kanan finally has... Somebody who understands. He finally has somebody who lived through what he lived through, who was also a Padawan during the Clone Wars, who knows what it's like to suddenly, after Order 66, lose everyone whom you associated with during that time. Mind you, again, Ahsoka's journey was a bit different because she left the Jedi Order, and she left in pretty bad terms because the Jedi Order kind of turned on her, thinking that she was responsible for... Um, uh, for a crime that was committed, uh, but they still identify because they, they came of age in the middle of that war serving as commanders within the Jedi army. And of course she brings in this element of Rex and a few of the other clone troopers who are now older dudes with graying hair. <laughs> and it's so cool how she brings them back in as these, uh, you know, these operatives, these um, specialists who have been, I mean, they're veterans. They are seasoned war veterans. And so they lend a great deal of value to this burgeoning re rebel force. And I think it's absolutely awesome. The fact that, um, that you have those remnants of clones who, by the way, they had their chips removed. So clones, every single clone, because these people were literally created in, in a lab, um, they were inserted with this chip inside them that that forced them to be obedient to whomever it was that controlled the clone army. In this case, it was Darth Sidious. And that's why when he gives the order, Order 66, every single clone, no, regardless of the fact that they've been fighting alongside these Jedi commanders and generals for five years, they... Immediately, on the drop of a dime, they turn against their Jedi commanders and they shoot them on sight. And the reason is that they had these chips implanted in them into their brains that didn't allow them to um, uh, to disobey. But Rex and a handful of the clone troopers, they ended up taking those things out of themselves uh, or deactivating them somehow to be able to make their own decisions. And that's the reason why they're still around. And that's the reason why none of them are responsible for killing their Jedi uh, commanders. That's the reason why they are now against the Empire. Because they know that, they now know that the person who was in, supposedly on the good side was actually controlling both sides of the war. 
Now they're fighting against that faction. So very cool thing. Ahsoka Tano bringing back the clone troopers, seeing a more grown-up version of her, a wiser version of her. Very, very cool. Darth Vader. So um, if you're a fan of Star Wars and you like Darth Vader, which arguably Darth Vader is, you know, I think, I don't know, top three best villains of all time from any kind of uh, sci-fi property. Darth Vader, I think, is one of the best villains that had to do very little to prove himself as, a, as, as, as one of the best villains. Like, we see him in the Star Wars, um, the original three Star Wars movies, right? A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. And, you know, he has this horrific reputation. You know, everybody fears him. Everybody, you know clears the way when he's walking through a hallway. Everyone fears having to come face-to-face -face with him. He defies not only his subordinates, but technically people who outrank him within the Empire Army. So it is this constant reverence that is paid to this villain throughout all these movies. But we never really get to see him go all out. This is the reason why I love that book, Lords of the Sith, because it shows you Darth Vader and Darth Sidious actually in action. Like it shows them fighting. It shows them using the force. It shows why they are two very feared individuals in the galaxy. Not just because they outrank everybody. No, because they will, you know, kill the dude. They, they will take out an entire army. They will take out any creature, no matter what alien species they are. They are powerful. And any glimpse that we get to see of Darth Vader in action outside of those three movies, because again, we don't see a lot of action from him in those movies, is a gift. It's a treat. That's why during the movie Rogue, uh, Rogue One, at the end, that final scene where... It's basically um, a relay race. The plans of the Death Star have been stolen. They're in this one chip or this one disc, and the disc is being basically try is, is being handed off from person to person from the rebel forces to try to get it to Princess Leia in her in her uh, shuttle. And the scene in the hallway where Darth Vader shows up. You hear his breathing. Lightsaber lights up. <laughs> that one scene right there. It is the it is one of the, the few glimpses that we've had into the badassery of Darth Vader in real action. You know, he takes out that entire hallway full of, of rebel troopers and he does it effortlessly. And he uses like every trick in the in, in the book that he knows of the force to, to just obliterate these guys. And misses being able to grab those plans of the Death Star by just an inch. Those scenes are so valuable. And so in this movie, we get, I'm sorry, in this series, in, in Star Wars Rebels, we get to see a little bit more of that. And it's so pleasing, man. Whenever Darth Vader comes into scene, of course, also voiced by um, uh, James Earl Jones for the cartoon series. It's just awesome, guys. It, it's It's such a cool thing whenever we get more of Darth Vader. Uh, so, so it's really cool to see him. He does play uh, some roles. Of course, he has his eyes very set 
on the Jedi, right? He's very interested in Kanan Jarrus. He's very interested in Ezra Bridger and in doing away with them. He doesn't want to mess with them. He 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 uh he wants to finish what he began in the Great Jedi Purge after Order 66, after he killed them younglings. So um another villain that makes an appearance here, pretty important appearance is Admiral Grand Admiral Thrawn. Now this dude has been basically inserted into the official canon after having been introduced in novels way back in the day. <clears throat> now the the story has changed for this character. Originally, he actually comes into play after the events of Return of the Jedi. He comes back and he was in the outer rims of the galaxy while the events of episodes four, five, and six took place. And suddenly he comes back from the outer rim with his entire fleet and he discovers that they've taken out Emperor Sidious. He assumes control of the remainder of the Empire, very similar to what they showed in the prequel, in the sequel trilogy starting with um, with The Force Awakens, where the First Order is born out of the ashes of the Empire. Kind of a similar thing here. He's the one in, in the old novels that ends up taking, taking over. He's the one that assumes command, and he is a threat. But, however, when Lucasfilm got bought out by Disney, they started basically creating a new canon. And they decided that all these old novels, they're no longer canon. They're now Star Wars Legends. So Thrawn, this this character that a lot, that a lot of people who loved Star Wars novels back in the day fell in love with, was now out of canon. Until Dave Filoni decided to bring him back and introduce him into the official canon through the Star Wars Rebel series. So of course this changes the timeline for this character immediately compared to the original stories that were told in in the in the non-canon novels. Because it places him before the events of A New Hope. Before the events of Luke Skywalker destroying the Death Star. And it kind of retells his story. Essentially, he is a um, he's of an alien species known as the Chiss. And this is an alien species from the unknown regions of the galaxy. So the Outer Rim, that whole area that doesn't really get visited too often by the Inner Rim people, the people who are part of the official galaxy uh, government, uh, that area is where he's from, and he eventually gets brought over to um, Darth Sidious, and Darth Sidious loves this guy so much for the fact that he has all this knowledge about the Outer Rim and the Unknown Region, so he wants to conquer more. So he likes having somebody like him, somebody like Thrawn, to use for that knowledge. So Thrawn joins the Imperial Academy, and really, really quick, in, in record time, this guy shoots up the ranks eventually by the, the events of Star Wars Rebels. He gets promoted to Grand Admiral. So he is the guy in charge of the fleets. And he's the one that is tasked with ending this rebellion that was happening with the crew of the ghost and uh, and the rest of the rebels that were starting to organize against the empire. So in the middle of all that, this guy's storyline plays out. He is a menacing, menacing villain. This guy, not only is his appearance 
intimidating because he's this dude who he wears an imperial admiral type of um, uh, uniform. His skin is blue, and he has red eyes. So this dude looks mean. He looks menacing. And I think one of the most intimidating things about him is his demeanor. He is constantly calm, in control, calculating, planning, strategizing. He is a master strategist. And you see throughout the events of Rebels how he outsmarts the Rebels time after time after time. He's just, he's a force to be reckoned with. And... I'm glad that we haven't fully lost them because by the end of the series, what ends up happening is that Ezra kind of sort of sacrifices himself and he forces, he basically takes Thrawn out of the picture by taking himself out into the unknown regions of the galaxy with these creatures that attach to his starship. They disappear. And so Ezra disappears as well. And uh, up to this point, we have no clue what happened to Ezra. And we have no clue what happened to Thrawn, for that matter. So, presumably, both of these characters could be still alive somewhere out in the outer rims of the galaxy, in the outer edges of the galaxy. And, uh, I mean, you got to wonder where their story goes. And I'll go into that in a minute. Um, Mandalore. <clears throat> Mandalore is another aspect of Star Wars Rebels that I feel is a huge contribution to the Star Wars universe. Particularly um, analyzing this from the point of view of the of this of my present time, where we've already seen the first season of The Mandalorian. We're waiting on the second season. The first season was a hit. And honestly, part of the reason why that first season was a hit was because of everything dealing with the Mandalore uh, culture. It was our first time being able to see close up these warriors how they what they believe how they think the way that they operate their system of loyalty to their um to their to their culture uh the crafting of their weapons and their armor i mean we get to see get a glimpse of all these things that are that are pretty fascinating and we just we want to know more and a great place to know more is in Star Wars Clone Wars and in Rebels because we get plenty of information about Mandalore their history the wars the uh, the empire uh, going in and taking over, planting a puppet government, base basically in place. Um, we get to see Darth Maul in the Rebel series. He comes back and plays a pretty important role throughout several instances in the series, and um, he has a past with Mandalore as well. In the Clone Wars, he ends up becoming the behind the scenes puppet master leader of ruler of Mandalore. He starts running things from behind the scenes. And so his, his relationship with Mandalore is pretty important as well. And, uh, of course, through Sabine Wren, who is part of clan Wren, uh, one of the more recognized clans and families of Mandalore, we see her flirting with the idea of returning home. She left in, uh, under, in bad, on bad terms because she uh, ended up being responsible for helping the Empire create this weapon that ended up being used against Mandalore. It wasn't her fault necessarily, but she feels responsible for it. There's a legacy there that she feels she should be embracing, but she's not because 
she doesn't feel worthy. So we see that entire uh, story arc and character development play out. Um, very cool, very important. So yeah, Mandalore, pretty important. If you are curious and want to learn more about the Mandalorian culture that you got a tease of in the Mandalorian live action show, this is a place where you want to go look. Star Wars Rebels. Um, the last thing that I'll talk about is Ezra's fate, as I started talking about earlier. At the end of the series, there's an epilogue in the very last episode. And the epilogue takes place shortly after the Battle of Endor, which again is what we see play out during Return of the Jedi, right? The forest planet or the forest moon of Endor. Uh, the Ewoks, cute little teddy bear looking dudes. They crush the Empire in there. There's this, this whole battle ensues. Uh, we see Luke Skywalker finally getting through to his father, Anakin Skywalker, and he decides to kill the Emperor before the Emperor can kill his son. But he electrocutes himself with Force Lightning in the process as he's grabbing him to throw him into the core reactor of the Death Star. And, um, and then comes a celebration because the Empire is essentially destroyed and everybody celebrates, the whole galaxy celebrates. And uh, after those events is where the epilogue of Star Wars Rebels takes place. And we see it through Sabine. And Sabine is basically recounting that uh, the Rebels won. The Empire has been destroyed after the Battle of Endor. And that she realizes that one of the last things that Ezra Bridger told her, which was, I know I can count on you, that she finally understands what he meant. And it was that, or at least she's implying that it was that she was the one who needed to go and find him to bring him back home. Because again, he um, hyperdrived himself off with these creatures in the starship along with Thrawn. And who knows where they are now? Sabine, we see her kind of like gathering her stuff, turning around, and there is standing Ahsoka Tano. And she's wearing these cool white robes looking very Gandalf-ish. And um, they basically get into a ship together and they go off to look for Ezra Bridger. So there's the beginning of a, of, of a new journey. And it, it's definitely one that I'm, you know, pretty curious about. And we've got some pretty interesting directions that that ending could, could go in. The series itself is done. Star Wars Rebels is done. That's it. They even created a new cartoon series called Star Wars Resistance, which, <clears throat> you know, it takes place during or right before the uh, the events of the, the sequel trilogy. I, I'm not interested in that. So, uh, but this I'm interested in. What What is this adventure that Ahsoka and Sabine have gone in? I'm really curious to find out. Also, um... How could this, because of the fact that they haven't explored it at all, there's been no mention of what happens to Ezra Bridger and Sabine and Ahsoka Tano in novels, cartoons, games, nothing. There's been no mention of it. So, of course, now that The Mandalorian Season 1 was an absolute hit on Disney+, Plus, it makes you wonder, are we going to see that adventure play out in live action? You know, are we going to see the search for Ezra Bridger 
play out in live action? Are we going to see all these characters introduced into live action? Now that Dave Filoni has basically made the transition between um, animation to live action, and he has become this bridge between these two storytelling formats, which, which by the way, this is a it's a huge deal, right? This dude started off as an animator with George Lucas when Star Wars: The Clone Wars cartoon movie came out. He then joined the recurring list of you know uh, writers and animators and producers for Clone Wars as the series played out the first six seasons. Then he went on to create Star Wars Rebels. Now he got the opportunity to go back to finish Clone Wars with its seventh season. Now he's part of the crew that's he's part of the production team for The Mandalorian. And The Mandalorian, we know, is pulling some elements from all the continuity that he established throughout the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. The best indication of this is the Darksaber appearing at the very, very end in that post-credit sequence or at the, the last sequence where we see Moff Gideon coming out of the TIE Fighter, cutting his way out with the Darksaber. Now, several significant things here. Not only was the Darksaber introduced during the Clone Wars, brought back into, the, in, into, the, into action during the events of Star Wars Rebels, but the Darksaber has close connections to these two characters who are searching for Ezra Bridger. Ahsoka Tano had a ton of connections with the Mandalorians. Sabine is a Mandalorian, part of one of the clans of Mandalore. And these are the two women who are going off searching for Ezra. Sabine held, and she was actually trained by Kanan Jarrus during the events of Star Wars Rebels. She was trained by Kanan Jarrus to be able to use that Darksaber, which is, for all intents and purposes, a lightsaber. And all of these things just come together in a really interesting way, which make me wonder, are we going to see Ezra Bridger and... Sabine Wren also introduced into live action through the Mandalorian. We've got an interesting casting uh, that we don't know yet what character it's going to be allotted to, and that is uh, WWE superstar um, Jesus, the boss. What's her name? <laughs> um Oh man, I'm totally blanking here. Hold on, I'm gonna have to. The boss. Uh, thank you, Sasha Banks. Jesus, Sasha Banks, uh, also known by her civilian name of Mercedes Justine Kessner. Um, she's been cast in in the Mandalorian season two. We have no clue who she's cast at. I gotta be honest with you, she could very easily end up playing Sabine. Um, now I know that Sabine was identified as, uh, as Asian, if I, if I'm not mistaken at some point, I think she was officially identified as Asian. So, you know, in that case, I don't know, some people might, you know, uh, go up in an uproar if, if Sabine isn't brought to life as an Asian character. So maybe it's not her, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just seeing too many connections there because Sasha Banks has like colorful hair and Sabine has always had colorful hair. The body kind of fits as well. It fits the character of Sabine Wren. 
I'd like to see it. I don't know. I'd like to see it, but you know, what do I know? We'll we'll find out soon enough who it is that she's playing. Uh, for all we know, she's playing some other side character. Very easily could be that. Uh, but yeah, um, man, if the Mandalorian could end up bringing to life Sabine, uh, coming coming along with Ahsoka, right? Because Ahsoka is going to be introduced in live action in that show. So if she could be introduced, if we could introduce Ezra Bridger, hey, th- here's another thing. Who is it that the Mandalorian has been tasked with finding for Baby Yoda? It is the sorcerers, right? It is the Jedi. It is the people who are force sensitive, who are quote unquote his people. So you got Ahsoka. And if she and Sabine Wren have already found Ezra Bridger, you've got Ezra Bridger. Ezra Bridger proved to have a tremendous connection with the force. I mean, this guy experienced some stuff that we've only seen people in, in in main roles of Star Wars movies experience. Uh in the in the sense that like you know you like uh Luke Skywalker for example he experienced he saw the force ghosts he had a dark side of the force nightmares where he you know had visions of Darth Vader um and even more stuff if you read the comics and if you read the novels and stuff like that like he had a lot of supernatural experiences with the force we saw uh, Ray in the sequel trilogy have a whole ton of Force-related supernatural experiences. And again, these are things that are only reserved for people who are very strong in the Force. So presumably, Ezra Bridger is one of these people. Who knows what he could have been doing during his exile if these events um, happened you know, let's say across several years, then he could have had a couple of years where he was perfecting his connection with the force out in the outer rim and the unknown regions and learning more and more, training himself more and more. My bo- The bottom line is between Ahsoka Tano and Ezra Bridger, you have two very powerful, very key individuals who could take on baby Yoda and give that little dude the training of his life in the force. And most importantly, they wouldn't do it as Jedi because by the time this thing ends, um, star Wars rebels, you don't see Ezra Bridger waving around the flag of the Jedi. That's not what it became about for him. What he did have was an incredible deal of, of inspiration by his, teacher by Kanan Jarrus. And we already know from what I said before, Kanan Jarrus is not a conventional Jedi by any stretch of the imagination. You know, this dude adapted. He became a new breed of force sensitive. Same thing as Ahsoka Tano. She became a a new breed of force sensitive individuals. And I feel like they would make, Ezra and Ahsoka would make an excellent team to provide Baby Yoda with his training in the force whom we already know is incredibly powerful in the force. So, man, that could be an entire live-action spinoff on its own. If we see Ezra and Sabine and Ahsoka show up during the events of Mandalorian Season 2, we set them up, they found Ezra. Now let's go back, give us an entire series on Disney Plus that explores that whole adventure. 
Ezra's whole adventure in the Outer Rim. What happened to him? What happened to uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn? Did they keep fighting? Did they become allies? Who the heck knows? And show us the adventure of Sabine Wren and Ahsoka Tano searching for Ezra. And show us the events of them returning now to the, 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 core, the core area of the, of the galaxy. Show me all of that. All of it in live action. I want to see it. I want to see it. It's, <laughs> it would make for incredible adventures. It's, a, it's an unexplored part of the, of the galaxy, which makes it even more exciting. Different alien creatures, different threats. Um, the, the, the possibilities are endless there. And I, and I, really, I really hope that they give it to us because it's, um, it's too much of a loose end to not explore in its entirety. So I think that's all I got to say, people. Um, I love Star Wars Rebels. Just like any cartoon series that has to be filled in with a lot of episodes, I think that there, you know, were definitely episodes that felt like filler. But I'll say this: <laughs> not as much as what I'm seeing right now from the Ahsoka storyline in episode in uh, season seven of Clone Wars. There was definitely a greater sense of action from episode to episode in Rebels than what I'm seeing so far since after episode four of season seven of Clone Wars. Let's hope that that picks up a little bit. So that's, uh, I think that's where I'll end this thing. Guys, if you haven't checked out Clone Wars, if you haven't checked out Rebels, again, I can't recommend these two series highly enough. They're worth your time. If you love the Star Wars universe, it'll let you learn. It'll allow you to learn so much more about this world that we've come to love. So get into it. Definitely recommend it. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you guys have any comments, anything that you feel like I forgot to mention that was important from uh, from Star Wars Rebels, uh, write us. Let us know. You can write us at g101podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, at g101podcast. Please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. If you uh, feel so inclined, leave us a review, leave us a rating. Five stars would be incredible to get us in front of more people. We would really, really appreciate it. And until the next episode, peace. Game over. What's up, guys? Thanks again for listening to today's episode. I mentioned a few audiobooks during today's episode that you might want to get into if you haven't tried audible.com yet. Uh, you've heard me mention it, Joshua, uh, how much we love audiobooks and our app of choice to access these books is audible.com. So basically, library of just thousands upon thousands of amazing audiobooks. And uh, specifically, They've got a lot of Star Wars titles. Not only do they have some of those Star Wars Legends novels that are no longer part of the canon, but still good listens. Uh, they've got all the Star Wars novels that are in canon. So if you're interested in filling up so many of these gaps that we have between movies and cartoon series and all that, the novels are an incredible way to do it. Uh, you could uh, take advantage of Audible's free trial and help out the podcast at the same time. 
Uh, if you go to audibletrial.com slash G101, that's audibletrial.com slash G101. It'll take you straight to the free trial page. All you got to do is sign up and basically you get a month free. And the month means that you get your first credit for free and thus your first book for free. One credit equals one book. You can pick from one of the cool titles that I mentioned, like Thrawn Treason, Thrawn Alliances, or the first Thrawn novel. Uh, again, all three of those are in the official canon. Uh, then you've got awesome books like Lord of the Sith, right? Which I mentioned, if you want to get more into Darth Vader and Darth Sidious being badass Lords of the Sith, that book is awesome to get into. You've got other books like Ahsoka Tano, which fills in the gap between the end of Clone Wars and where we see her pop up in Star Wars Rebels. So a lot of very cool, well-narrated, well-written books that you could get into within the Star Wars universe by taking advantage of your first month free on Audible. Again, that URL, it's audibletrial.com slash G101. You'll get your first month free and you'll help out the show. Really appreciate it, guys. Peace out.